Welcome to Spiritual Mythbusters. I'm your host, Paul Graves, and this is the place where we always share what we value as truth and promise to always share it in love. This podcast is an outreach of Bible to Life Ministry located in Northeast Florida. So if you enjoy what you hear, visit us at BibleToLife.net. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot net and click on resources to view our BTL Kingdom blog, sermons, and bookstore. Now put on your spiritual thinking caps and let's dive into another episode. Welcome back to Spiritual Mythbusters. As always, I am your host, Paul Graves, and I can guarantee you one more time that today will be a message that will both challenge, encourage, and inspire you. Okay, so I have decided once again to dig back into the archives, and I've come up with a message that I shared a number of years back, but I think it is still very much relevant for today. So today's episode is titled, When Will Jesus Return? <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave it there. Enjoy. When will Jesus Christ return? Now, there's 40 people here. Out of these 40 people, every one of you probably have a different thought pattern, or there may be four or five groups that would have the same type of thought pattern, but I guarantee you everyone is thinking a bit differently than the one right next to you. Now, I spoke to someone a while back, and they told me that Jesus would return in 20 years. I said, wow, that's I cannot wait to see that. This is so amazing. We just got to hold on and wait 20 years and he's coming. That is, that's fabulous. That, that's amazing. Well, no, no, there's no scripture. I just know it. Okay. Well, what is your thought process behind? Well, I, I don't have a thought process. I just, I just know it. Okay. So, so you're saying that I shouldn't prepare for my child's future and we shouldn't instill in my little girl the ability to learn and to be taught in the natural as well as the spirit. And I shouldn't put aside finances for her schooling. And I shouldn't in any way encourage her that if she wants to be a doctor, that she can be. Because what you're telling me is subjectively Jesus is coming back in 20 years, but you don't know why, you don't know how, and you can't quantitate it in any way, but you're going to make a blanket statement like that which if you're saying that, then what you must say is there's no future for the world because in 20 years we'll all be gone. That's a devilish mindset. It's not devilish to find joy in the blessed hope of the return of Christ, but it's devilish to be put off the future of another subjectively without Jesus Christ showing in Scripture. But we've been taught that. We've been taught that Jesus can come back any day now. What I'm going to deal with today is I'm going to deal with that the return of Christ is not imminent. The return of Christ is not any day. Scripture is very clear when Christ will return. And it doesn't say any day or 20 years, and we're going to deal with that today. Because the reality is this, is that there's a responsibility that you and I carry in the body of Christ that determines when Christ returns. See, we're all waiting for the return of Christ, but Christ is waiting on us before he can return. <laughs> I'm looking at your faces. <laughs> it's, good, it's good news, guys. It's good news. I'm not subjectively going to make these statements. I'm going to show you in Scripture. Do me a favor. Turn to Acts chapter 2. 
verse 32 through 34. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, talking about his ascension, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which was poured out at Pentecost, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Now, this is Peter on the day of Pentecost. Peter is teaching and he is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And Peter is saying, this which you've experienced today is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He says, this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied. That in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all men. Your sons and your daughters, old men, young men, I'm pouring out my spirit. So this is what he's making reference to. Now, Peter quotes David in the book of Psalms. And he says this in verse 34. So the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make, listen that word is until. Everybody listen to that. Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Verse 36 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. So we hear David the psalmist prophesying, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, God said to Jesus, Come, ascend, sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies your footstool. So the plan and the purpose, the promise of God to himself, to Christ, was come and sit. Reign in the heavens until I make all of your enemies your footstool. All right, so remember that. Until. Now, turn to Acts chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. Verse 17 says this. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rule, rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Verse 20, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. This is verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Here again, there's another verse saying that Christ must remain in the heavens until the restoration of all things. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 through 26. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule, all authority and power, verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy will be abolished as death. Now, I've just read, read three scriptures to you. Each one of these scriptures <coughs> say that Christ Jesus must remain or must reign in the heavenlies until his enemies have been made a footstool. 
So apparently, there's some work that needs to be done before Christ can return. And the accomplishment of that work is that the enemies of God will be made a footstool for his feet. Legally, all things have already been fulfilled in the earth. Legally, you are already spotless and blemishless. There is no spot on you. We're not working towards becoming righteous or holy, spotless or blemishless. We already are legally through the blood of Jesus Christ. But what needs to happen is we need to experientially manifest that knowledge to the world and to ourselves. And we do that by renewing our mind and then bringing our body into subjection to the Word of God. We're disciplining our body to be obedient to God's Word. And when we do that, then we begin to walk out involuntary acts of righteousness. Does that make sense? But, but the bottom line is, if you read these three scriptures, these three scriptures clearly state that Christ must remain in the heavens until his enemies have been made his footstool. So the question is, who is going to make Christ's enemies his footstool? Is God going to do it? Is God going to do something that he's already done through Christ? Now by the power of his Holy Spirit living in us, he's commanded us to do. Is he going to supersede himself above or over his divine order in the new covenant, which is working through the church in order to fulfill all things experientially? Or had that task been given to the church, the body of Christ, which he is the head? You see, I made a statement a minute ago, and I said that we are not waiting on Christ to return. Christ is waiting on you and I before he can return. Because I'm giving you the punchline of the whole message now before we get into it. But it's our responsibility as sons and daughters of God to cause the enemies of Christ to become his footstool for his feet. See, that debunks that whole theory that I'm born again just to sit at the foot of the cross and have a relationship with the Father. Just dismantles it. If we have that theory that the only reason we're born again is for a relationship with the Father, outside of manifesting his kingdom, both as individuals, both as families, and both corporately as a local church, then the reality is Christ will never return. But he's coming back for a bride who knows who she is. The question is, do we know who we are? And if we do, are we manifesting? The knowledge of God's glory everywhere we go as glory carriers in the earth. See, this is why I can confidently tell you that Christ is not coming back tomorrow. He's not coming back next week. Now, do I believe that nations can be birthed in a day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, Jesus was one of the most optimistic or the most optimistic person in the entire world. He told Peter, when Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. He said to Peter, he said, Peter, upon this rock, this foundation, this truth, this understanding, this revelation that I am the Christ, upon this truth, I will build my church. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. How many of you are born in the kingdom of God based on the same truth that Peter proclaimed that flesh and blood did not reveal to him, but his father that was in heaven? then you must know that Christ will build his church. And if Christ is building his church, the gates of hell shall not, cannot, will not prevail in your life. Absolutely can't. You see, God is not going to give us a mission, a mandate, and a commission for global dominion. 
to disciple nations and not give us the authority and the power over all principalities and evil rulers of this world to carry out what he's commanded us to do. He wouldn't do that. So not only do we have an identity crisis, but we have a purpose crisis. Most believers don't even know who they are in Christ, much less the fullness of who Christ is in them. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. We don't work towards redemption or salvation. We work because we're redeemed. But when we are born again, we have been given a functional responsibility by the Father to manifest His kingdom. Jesus says, the works that I do, you will do greater works. He actually says it this way. He says, if you believe in me, then the works that I do, you will do. Okay? So if we're not doing the works of Jesus, then I would like to ask the question, do we believe in him? Because he is, it's called the, the law of double reference. He says, if you believe in me, then you will do the works that I do in greater works. So obviously, if, if we're not doing the works of Jesus in greater works, the question is, do we really believe in him? Uh, yeah, has to be the conclusion. So we have a physical responsibility as the body of Christ to cause the knowledge of God's glory to cover this earth as the waters cover the sea. It's good, huh? So someone says, what's my purpose? Well, your, your purpose in life is to establish a relationship with the Father so that you can take the knowledge of His glory, His love, His goodness, His kindness, and you can spread it abroad throughout the entire earth. That's powerful. So if we're waiting for Jesus Christ to return, He will return one day physically, in bodily form. He will return. But He won't return until His enemies have been made His footstool for His feet. And that is our job. Every time you walk by a sick person and you do not lay hands on that person because you believe God didn't tell you to, one sick person further back from the return of Jesus Christ. Every time you speak to somebody and you have a lack of knowledge of the scriptures and an ability to communicate what God has given you or a fear to speak truth and love, and you turn away from one person further away from the return of Christ. Because listen, let me tell you what the scripture doesn't mean. When it talks about making his enemies a footstool for his feet, that doesn't mean we go out and beat the hell out of the devil. That's not what it means. We're not fighting the devil. The devil's defeated. We're ministering the love of God birthed out of compassion to set the captives free. What this means is, is that what we are doing as believers is we are taking the good news, the gospel of the kingdom to a people, and we are ministering the message of reconciliation. Every time an individual who is lost is born again, transposed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that individual now is no longer an enemy of Christ. Isn't that what Peter says? The enemies of Christ, the big friends of this world become enemies of God. So every time we take an individual who is lost and destitute and spiritually deprived and we minister them the good news of the gospel and they're transposed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that's one less enemy under Christ's feet. And why is it one less enemy under his feet? Because as soon as we are born again, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. So if you got a million right here, and we, and we get 500,000 of them born again, now 500,000 come from here under his feet to reign and rule with him in heavenly places. Why do you think Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit? 
honor and the privilege that we have to be used as God on this earth. To be like God on this earth. Listen, Sean did an amazing job last week. She actually broke that thing down and went through three or four different times where we as men screwed it up. And God fixed it. But then he gave us the responsibility to go forward again. Then we screwed it up. But God fixed it. And then he gave us the responsibility. She said, I wouldn't have faith in humanity after that. And neither would have I. But a God that loved us so much that while we were yet still sinners, he went to the cross. He did it for the joy that was set before him. He suffered the shame and the agony and the pain. Go to, turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 18 through 23. 18 through 23. 18 says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart or the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. This is Paul saying, I pray that you gain a revelation of what I'm about to tell you. I pray that you understand what I'm about to share with you. Which means Paul is sharing something very important at this particular time. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Many people talk about their calling. What is my calling? Truth is, you don't have a calling. Really don't. You can buy tapes, you can go to seminars. I'm gonna tell you the truth right here. Don't waste your money on any of the books. You don't have a calling. It's his calling. Well, Paul, how can you say that? You know, I'm just a robot. No, you're a bond servant. And a bond servant doesn't have a will of their own. Because Jesus said that he emptied himself, came to earth as a bond servant in the form of man. Jesus says, My will is not my will, but the will of the Father. The words I speak are not my words, but they're the words of the Father. The works that I do, he told Philip, are not even my works, but they're the works of the Father. Jesus owned nothing, but had inherited everything. So it's his will. It's his calling. What is my calling in life? I would say your calling in life is to live as Christ lived. You're predestined to be conformed to his image. That's Ephesians. Read chapter 1, read verse 3, four scriptures you'll find. So that's God's, that's God's calling on your life. So Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, and that you will know that of the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So we just said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand as I make your, until, until I make your enemies your footstool. And Ephesians just tells us, in equivocal, where the right hand is. At the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Fall above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion. In every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his, Christ's feet, and gave Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all in all. That is absolutely powerful. Does anybody get what I just read right there? There is a divine order. 
a divine spiritual order for godly living in the new covenant. Christ is the head of his body, which is the church. In Christ, everything, all things have already been fulfilled, but they're made manifested and enforced in the earth through the church, which is the fullness of all in all. Listen, if anyone tells you you don't have the fullness of Christ and your responsibility is not to go about doing the works of Jesus, verse 23 says it right here, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It is our functional responsibility as the body of Christ to fulfill, enforce all that Christ accomplished legally on the cross. Sin and death was dealt with legally on the cross. It's our responsibility to deal with it experientially as we go through our day. Poverty and depression was dealt with legally on the cross. It's our responsibility to experience deal with that every single day. That's amazing. Come on. This is the purpose of why we're created. Listen, God had a global plan, and his global plan was dominion, domination. His purpose when he created Adam and Eve was to procreate godly offspring that would cover the entire earth so that heaven touch and spread throughout all of earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose of the kingdom of God, kingdom is the reign, the rule, and the authority of Christ the king. The purpose of the kingdom coming is so that we, through you and I, sons and daughters, with the kingdom of God, reigning and ruling in all authority, can cause earth to look like heaven. Sure. I don't know about that. Man! That's amazing. Okay, so listen. He who descended is himself. Also, he who ascended far above all heaven, so that he might fulfill all things. This is what Ephesians 4 says. He not only descended, but he ascended, so that he might fulfill all things. Why does it say might? If I just told you legally, he did fulfill all things. Scripture teaches that he completed all things. But the reason it's might is the same way 1 Colossians 27 says, For Christ in you the hope of glory. Might is the same as hope, meaning that it's determined on the sons and daughters of God. What you do with the glory that you have with Christ in you. Absolutely up to us. If we want to go around the, the mountain 40 years, 80 years, 1,000 years, Christ will wait. A day is a thousand years. Don't matter to him. He'll wait. It's not about his return to rescue us out of a God-forsaken place. It's about Christ returning for a bride who knows who she is. And she's subdued and governed the earth. Went back to the Garden of Eden through salvation. Picked up the garden mandate and said, I'm called to multiply, be fruitful, rule over it, subdue it, govern it. King Jesus, my Lord and my God, here. Here's the earth. Here's the people. We've discipled the nations. Every knee is now bowed. Every tongue is now confessed. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says this. For it is the church. Everybody say, that's me. That's me. That's me. It is the church's responsibility to make known the manifold wisdom of God principalities and rulers of the air. This is not God coming down to do something for us, superseding himself upon us, or 
So if you're waiting on God to do something in your city, he's not going to do anything in your city. You'll wait until the day you die, and then your kids can wait, and their kids can wait, and their kids can wait, because God will not come into this city and do anything absent of his people. That's right. That's right. That's the divine order for godly living in a new covenant, is that in Christ all things have been completed. All things have been fulfilled, but it must be made real to the earth through the sons and daughters of God's glory heirs. His order is working through you, so if you don't do it, it will never get done. So the next time someone tells you, oh, Jesus is coming back any day now. Really? Whoa! Okay. Can, can you show me where that is? Wishful thinking. Listen, he can come back any day if we got our act together. There's no reason that, that Christ is waiting outside the fact that his bride came into revelation who she is and walking in her fullness and her purpose. That's it. He wants to come back for the bride. But it's a bride that has to know who she is. As your host, Paul Graves, I want to thank you for listening to Spiritual Mythbusters. If you like what you've heard, then once again, visit us at BibleToLife.net. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-O-L-I-F-E dot net and click on Resources to access our BTL Kingdom blog, sermons, and bookstore. So until next week, always remember, if you want to see the glory of God, then you must release God's glory.